The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. When Jesus was just starting his public ministry, uh, he went to his hometown of Nazareth. Um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a saying in the Bible that a prophet is a... Uh, is, uh, is disregarded basically, and he's disrespected in his own town. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been back to a uh, a high school reunion, and suddenly, like, no matter what you think that you've accomplished in your life, like it sort of like puts you back in like where you you realize like where I come from. And Jesus walked into the city of Nazareth, and on the Sabbath he came and he stood up in front in front of the crowd of people in his hometown, and they handed him the Bible because they'd have Bible reading just as we had. And that day. Whether he asked for it or just the reading just happened to be in the book of Isaiah, and, or just happened to be. And Jesus opened the book to the book of Isaiah, and it says that uh, he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. This is in Luke 4, 17 through 21. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him and began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Bible says that Jesus came and he went about doing good to all people for God was with him. Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, to the dark earth, to the sinful earth, to the fallen earth, to fallen mankind, to a people that he had created and formed for himself, and yet they individually and corporately together had rejected him and decided to go their own way, a way of of death and separation apart from him, and he came to them, light to darkness, father to his estranged children. He came to them in order to save them, in order to take what was broken by us and to mend it back together. He came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He came to the poor and proclaimed good news to them. He came to the liberty to the captives and proclaimed liberty to them. He came to the blind and proclaimed the recovering of sight to them. And not only did he do that, but then he walked around and as he as he walked around the, the area of Galilee, the area of Israel, they would bring the poor, they would bring the oppressed, they'd bring the sick, the blind, the lame to him and he would heal them. They would bring children who were lame from birth and he would heal them. They would bring him those who were broken in their bodies and he would heal them. He would bring those who were mentally anguished because they were oppressed and depressed and possessed by demons and he would cast the demons out and make them whole again. Jesus came and incredible miracles followed him. The blind saw, the lame walked, the sick were made whole. Even the dead were raised because Jesus came declaring that the kingdom of God had come. The kingdom of light had now come to darkness. God had come back to rescue a people for himself. 
the people for his own glory. That's what God's been doing since the very beginning of time for us. He has been creating and building for him around himself a people for his own possession, a people that he could pour out his love and grace upon, a people that would be his to, to pour out his continual love and goodness to, to display his graciousness, his glory to them and through them. Jesus came declaring that that day had come. And some people, whenever they read about this, what Jesus came and did, and he came and did all these miracles, we think about them as sort of the suspension of the created order. Like, like, like we're just kind of broken and sick, and like Jesus came and he, he, he did these miracles, and miracles are sort of the suspension of the way things are. Because we th- think about the miracles that you know in the Bible, like, you know, Moses comes and he walks up to the sea and he hits it and it parts. Like, that's not the way things normally work. It's a suspension of the created order. But when Jesus came and he declared healing and he healed people and he made them whole again, he wasn't restoring, he wasn't, he wasn't doing a, making a suspension of the created order. He was reestablishing the order that creation was meant to have at the very beginning. We weren't made to be broken. We were made to be whole. And we are broken because we have rejected him and gone our own way. But Jesus came again to restore us. And that work was culminated at the cross. When he was wounded, wounded for our transgressions, we're celebrating, we're we celebrating Holy Week starting a week from today. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we were healed or made whole. That's what the the word healed in Scripture means. It means to be made whole or to be made right again, to be made the way you are meant to be, the way creation was meant to be. Relationships were not made to be broken. Our bodies were not made to be broken. We were not made to be estranged and in rebellion from God. We were made to be in whole relationship with him. And he came to reestablish that created order to such an extent that he was bruised and broken and pierced and beaten and died in order to reunite us to the Father, to be made whole. The sovereign God has chosen to display his glory, his goodness through his church. That's you and me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today and he has purchased you with his blood, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and he has poured out his graciousness and goodness to you, if you have been engrafted into the family of God by his wounds and by his stripes, by his death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf, then he has chosen to display his glory and his goodness upon you for all creation. The Bible tells us that not only are other human beings looking at the church to see his glory displayed to us and through us, but that all of creation itself and even angels are looking at and seeing and wondering at the glory of God displayed in his goodness to us as his church. Ephesians 2, 3 through 7. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Among whom, that's talking about the, the 
listen to that, the way this kind of parallels to the passage that Jen read for us, the passage that we're in today, 1 Corinthians 12, which is going to be in there two weeks, so don't panic if we don't get too far in this this week. Now, verse, uh, the passage, our passage, just listen to this. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were, that when you were pagans, that means when you were godless and separated from God, you were led astray to mute idols. Now, look at this. Uh, Ephesians 2, 3 through 7. Among whom, as the other pagans, the other godless people, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That means that's, that's describing the whole thing that we were describing, how we were separated from him, broken, like the rest of mankind. But God, this is actually my favorite phrase in all of Scripture, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Man, that's good. I can't go into all of that. You should, you should memorize that Scripture. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, this is the payoff verse, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God has designed his church, you and me individually, and us Collectively, to, collectively together as a community of believers, he has designed us to display his glory and his grace and his goodness and his love and his power and his might and his mercy to all of creation, in fact, past creation, to even to every being that exists, to angels, to demons, to Satan himself, to other human beings, so that they would look in and see how wonderful and gracious and powerful and great and good God is to us. He is lavishing his grace and his goodness and his love upon us to display it to the rest of the world. And that's why it is so important that you and I think about church in the way that God thinks about church. When I say church, I'm not talking about the picture that most of us have of the hour, hour and a half, depending on what church you go to, on a Sunday morning that you come and somebody plays and somebody talks and we might take communion and you check your kids out and you go home and eat something and then you do whatever you want the rest of the day. I'm talking about God's people, God's family that he has purchased for himself, that he displays his glory through. You and I need to have a proper understanding of what is at stake in you and I being the community of believers he has called us to be. His glory is at stake. His goodness is at stake. And the way that we live with each other, the way that we treat each other, and that's why in this passage, Paul begins by saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. I do not want you to be uninformed. Why? Because the way that we relate and live with each other in the church, God's glory is at stake in that. 
He says, first of all, the spiritual gifts that we're going to be looking at this week and next week, the spiritual gifts are, first of all, important. Different traditions and backgrounds treat the spiritual gifts differently. I don't know why, if you have a church background and what kind of church background you come from, what you think about this passage. Uh, I come from a charismatic background. I'm just laying my cards on the table. I grew up, I saw some, like, wild things growing up in church. I mean, if I was to start to talk about it, if you're not from a background like that, it would absolutely weird you out. I mean, I grew up in it, and it weirded me out sometimes. I saw some crazy things. Sometimes I saw things that were, like, amazing. That I was like, wow, God is in this. And sometimes, even as a young person, I'm looking around saying, uh, yeah, something is weird about this. I don't know how to explain it, but uh, something is not going on. Like, I saw, like, well, we won't even get into some of the crazy things that I saw. And, and, and so, but something happened in my theology as a young person at some point where a, the big domino that changed all the way that I think about theology, that I think about the Bible, that I think about God was a big domino dropped in my heart that whenever I woke up one day and realized by God's grace and saw it in Scripture and the leading of the people that God is absolutely sovereign and that he has chosen to, like, like he is in control of all things, and you and I were created for his glory. Like, he isn't created for us, we are created for him. And he is sovereignly in control of all things, and that he has designed salvation in, in such a way, the church in such a way, that he gets all the glory for it. And so whenever I saw that, all the other dominoes started to fall. And I read this passage differently. Now, different traditions and backgrounds want to treat this passage about spiritual gifts differently. Some people want to reject it. Some people say that the spiritual gifts ended whenever the canon was closed. That means when the Bible was finally written or when the apostles died out. And the problem with that is just nowhere in Scripture does it say that. In fact, in chapter 13, it says, um, which uh, we'll, we'll cover in a few weeks from now, it says that... Um, Verse 6, as for prophecies, they will pass away. Excuse me, as for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So it's looking back at, the, at this chapter. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Well, when is the perfect come? That's when Jesus Christ returns and makes all things new and all things right again. There's nowhere in Scripture does it say that that they ever end. Some people want to reject them. Some people want to ignore them because frankly, that's what a lot of us want to do because frankly, spiritual things freak Western people out. When I say Western, I mean like the Western mindset and the, the Western hemisphere because we're rational human beings. Like we, we, we like to make, for things to make sense. And the spirit, when we talk about spiritual things, it just kind of freaks us out. Other people, like the background that I come from, we want to overemphasize it. So maybe you're like, you're, you're, maybe you're sort of put on the hurt, hook differently and you're in a service or a meeting and something spiritual happens. And man, I saw, I know people who, man, they claim some crazy things. Um, things like, well, we want to, again, I don't know. There's some crazy, crazy, crazy things. And what happens is it sort of becomes sort of a parlor trick to people. They're in a church or a service, and something cool or interesting happens, and they just want to go back and see, like, what cool or interesting thing is going to happen now. Like, so it's, like impress me. Like, like, it's sort of a parlor trick, like a circus that you're coming to to show me something cool and different today. 
That's an overemphasizing it. We can't afford to either reject it, ignore it, or overemphasize it because Paul says it's important, as we're going to see in the next few weeks. Not only does Paul say the spiritual gifts are important, he says, obviously, they are spiritual. They are spiritual. The church is by nature and definition a spiritual thing. When God chose a people to display for himself the promise that he gave in Scripture, he says, I will be in you and among you. I will dwell among you and in you. I will be your God and you will be my people. When Jesus was walking with his disciples, he said, it's good for me to go because if I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you and he will live in you and among you. He also says that, I, that he says, I will dwell in and among you. He says, I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. Whenever you become a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not just a mental thing that happens, but a spiritual thing happens. That's what Paul is saying when he says at the beginning of this, uh, this chapter, verse 3, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That means that it's only by the Holy Spirit of God awakening your soul, opening your eyes to see what you could not see before that all of a sudden this Jesus thing that seems stupid and crazy and uninteresting all of a sudden one day you hear it and it suddenly becomes precious to you how many of you how can you explain that one day you're thinking man I can take it or leave it or maybe you reject it and you think it's crazy talk and one day you come in and you're sitting in a service and somebody is talking about Jesus and you're crying why Something miraculous and spiritual has happened in you. God's Holy Spirit has come and opened your eyes. He's come to dwell in you so that you would see and savor Jesus Christ for being the beautiful one that he really is. And whenever you bring spiritual people together, we are a spiritual community. We are here to display a different kind of living to the world around us where they see a people who are in communion with God and with each other in the way that we were meant to be from the beginning. We are a foretaste of the remaking of all things that will come when Jesus Christ returns and makes all things new and reestablishes the original intended created order. Christianity is in its nature spiritual and it if you think about it, like it's sort of an outlandish thing to say in modern America, right? That we are a spiritual group of people living in spiritual community. But this whole thing is crazy. I mean, if you're here today, like we're talking about a Jesus like who, who was, we say, or was the second person the Godhead. What in the world does that mean? That's sort of a crazy idea in itself. We say he was born of a virgin. That's a crazy idea. We said he lived a perfect life. He was hung on a tree. He was put in a grave. He rose again and that he went up to heaven and he's coming back again. And scripture says something about a white horse and a, a, like a sword coming out of his mouth. Like it's, it's a crazy outlandish idea to the modern, rational, Western mind. But it is true. And it's more real and more true than that cold, uncomfortable metal chair that you're sitting on right now. That is utter reality. And we as a spiritual people are a, are a foretaste, a appetizer of true reality for the people around us. The spiritual gifts are important. They are spiritual. And the third of all, third, there are gifts or graces. The wording that Paul uses here uh, 
Uh, in the, uh, there's two words that he uses for spiritual gifts in this passage in the original Greek. And one of the ideas has a picture of a gracious gift. Paul calls them gifts. They're gracious gifts. That means they are elements of God's grace to us. They are born of his love and care for his people. So the picture here is that when we gather together in a large meeting, in small meetings, one-on-one for coffee, over dinner, over lunch, just talking on the phone, encourage each other, whatever is going on when we're talking, just when we're around each other, that God is going to manifest himself through each other to each other as a gracious gift to me and to you. So that we have some guys that we gather together on Wednesday mornings. And we get together on Wednesday morning. Like we sometimes, like we just hang out and we talk about stupid stuff and we talk, we'll review the service and we'll talk about some things. And, but sometimes, if you've ever been in a, a conversation like this, sometimes like you leave the conversation and for some reason, like you felt, you feel like you've been with God. Like you feel encouraged, you feel built up. Like the, the sum is greater than the total of its parts. Like for some reason, like, like God moved in your soul. He encouraged you. You were down before, but now you're encouraged. You're built up. Like before you were struggling, you had a dis- big decision. You didn't know what to do. And now maybe you not, may not know what to do, but you're encouraged. Like what happens there? God is graciously and lovingly leading you and speaking to you and touching you and guiding you through the other believers that you're gathered with. They're God's gracious gifts to you and me. Not only are they important and spiritual and gifts or graces to us, but verse 7, Paul tells us that they are for the common good. Um, So growing up in uh, an unbalanced picture to me of the spiritual gifts, uh, again, there was sometimes there were sort of like parlor tricks that people did. Now, and I say they, like I'm talking about the spiritual gifts, we're going to get more into sort of the, this is a 30,000 foot this week. Next week, we're going to get more detail about the individual gifts and what does it mean and how do we practice them. But the people who operated in particular gifts that thought they could prophesy or uh, had gifts of healing and maybe God did move through them sometimes, it was sort of like, um, they felt special because God moved through them. It's sort of like it was sort of a badge of honor that they wore. So people who like God moved through, seemed to move through, especially you would elevate to a level of like higher spirituality. Like God gifted them in some amazing way. But that's not the way that Paul is painting the idea of spiritual gifts in this passage. He's saying that the spiritual gifts are not for you. They're for the people around you. So the picture here is that whenever we gather together as believers, that we should be gathering asking, God, would would you speak through me? Would you touch the other people in this room through me and encourage them? So it changes the whole game plan of how we address coming on Sunday morning. Am I coming on to Sunday morning like it's a show? Like some people are going to play for me like a little mini concert and some guy's going to get up and either going to be profound or funny or I'm going to play on my phone? Or am I coming with a mindset like Paul whenever he was writing to the church in Rome? He said, I long to come to you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. I long to gather with you guys so that God would somehow 
maybe would you graciously and lovingly speak to the people around me through me, not for my glory, but for your glory, not for my good, but for their good. They're gifts to the rest of the family of God for the common good, for the building up of his family. And then we see that not only are they for the common good, but they are manifested through every believer. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You know what that means? That means that we all have a part to play. It means that church isn't about some guy who gets up and talks for 40 minutes on Sunday. Church is, church is a community of people who all bring a unique and personal picture, uh, personal and, uh, a personal and unique manifestation of the presence and spirit of God for the good of the other people around them. And it means that we, it takes that all of us put together to represent Jesus Christ to each other. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this book called Life Together. And he said that we need each other because we, not because we're simply lonely. We need each other because we need God. And that if I'm a believer, there's not enough Jesus in me to show you completely who Jesus is. That Jesus has chosen to display his glory and his character and his nature through all of us together. And it takes all of us together like a puzzle. Each of us are a puzzle piece that when you see it all put together, you get a clearer picture of who God is and what he's about. And that means that if we as a community of believers are going to get a picture of who God is, it comes from you coming to our gatherings, coming to our community groups, coming to our coming together as a community of believers, representing and manifesting the Spirit of God to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's for the common good, it's manifested through every believer, and then it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. The gifts, the manifestations of God's spirit in our midst. And when I'm talking about manifestations, I'm not talking about, um, sometimes it's not even something crazy or outlandish. It's just God speaking and encouraging each other in our midst when we gather together. Some C groups that I, like, let, let's be honest. If you're, if you're part of a C group, uh, sometimes C group is really hard. It's Tuesday or Wednesday nights. And you've been working all day, and you're tired, and you're exhausted. And it, you would just rather just like, if you have kids, like, let's just watch the kids, feed them, and get them to bed, and have some quiet time with each other. Like, I'd rather just stay home and relax tonight. It takes a lot of effort and work to get together with other people. And frankly, there's some people in my group that I don't like. Like, let, let's be honest. Sometimes people say things that get on my nerves. Sometimes, sometimes people talk too much. Sometimes, like, they have certain personality quirks, and it just drives me crazy. But sometimes when we gather together, it's a chore, but sometimes his spirit shows up in the middle of that craziness and speaks to me and encourages me. And that's not empowered by you or me. 
That's empowered by the one who dwells in us and among us. Even in our weakness. Even when we're tired. Even when the kids are whining and complaining. And the house is a little bit crazy and chaotic. And I didn't like the food that we brought this week. Even in the midst of that, he empowers something in our midst and speaks to us and leads us. It's not empowered by you or me. It's empowered by him. And when somebody comes into one of our C groups or on a Sunday morning or just around you or me individually, they should sense and they should know that they have been around someone else. You ever met somebody who's like really, really smart or like really, really powerful or gifted? And you left like, man, I, I, I met somebody different today. That times infinity is what it should be like when people come in our midst and they sense the presence of a capital S someone in our midst, the one that they were created by and for. They are empowered by the Spirit and they are apportioned or distributed as God sees fit. Verse, verse 11, all these, after he just described all the gifts, not all the gifts, he goes through a list of gifts. We'll talk about that next week. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions or distributes to each one individually as he wills. So the picture here is the picture of God being the pastor of the church. Uh, Dale and I are careful. We never call me or him or anybody the senior pastor of Doxa. The senior pastor is the shepherd, Jesus Christ. And we are under shepherds. He leads and guides his church as he sees fit. And so when we gather together, whether as a, at a service like this or in a C group or in our individual lives, he pours out his spirit. He exercises his lordship, his pastoral care, his senior pastoral care over his church by distributing what we need, when we need it, to the people that he has chosen to distribute it. It's a beautiful picture of a team. A football team. I love football. I think it's the ultimate team sport. A football team who always makes it on the cover of the magazine, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, the quarterback is always the star. But he is no good if the left tackle is not there. Because the left tackle is guarding his blind side. Every single person brings something to the table that is critically important. And God apportions and distributes the gifts for the glory of his son and for your and my common good as he sees fit. And the happiest that you will be as a person is to be in the place that he has appointed you, doing what he has gifted you to do and empowered you to do for his glory and the good of his people. It's manifested through every believer. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's apportioned or distributed as he sees fit. And it is varied representations of God in our midst. I already touched on that. But 
the coming weeks, we're going to be talking through the rest of this chapter. Dale's going to be covering the end of chapter 12 where he describes the, the, the church as the body of Christ. That means each of us brings a different picture of God to the, to, the, to the mix. And whenever you mix it and stew it all together, we get a better picture of who he is. You, it's, like a, it's like the church is like a giant Voltron. Anybody like 80s, 90s kids remember Voltron? Like each, each part of Voltron had a different gift, a different power they had, but individually they could do some really cool things, but when there was, there was big trouble, what do they do? They Voltroned together. Yes, it's a verb. They Voltroned together into one body that could then just tear up. They were greater together than they were separate. And that's what we are as the body of Christ. We are varied representations of God's person and personality and power and presence. And it's only when you Voltron us together in one community that we see that his body moves like he has called us to move. That's why what you and I think about church is so critically important and how we pour ourselves into the community of believers. And then last of all, not only are they distributed as God sees fit and they're varied representations of God in our midst, but they are given to proclaim Jesus. Again, verse 3, it says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a problem there when you interpret this passage is like anybody can say the words Jesus is Lord, right? But what he's saying is nobody can say it and mean it. Nobody can say it and actually actually confess him as Lord from their heart, bow their knee to him in repentance and faith as him as the Lord of all creation, except God's spirit empowers you and enables you to do so. Jesus said that when the spirit comes that he would show us or display to us, he would bring back to our remembrance Jesus Christ. He would glorify the Son. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are the sovereign work of God to glorify Jesus Christ in our midst. Think about it. If salvation, did anybody in here, don't raise your hand if you think so because you're going to be the minority. Anybody in here think that you earned your salvation? No. It was a free gift of grace to you in Christ. It was all of him. That's why he gets all the glory for your salvation. But not only does he get the glory for your salvation, but he gets all the glory in our midst and your growth as a believer and our growth together as believers and the church church accomplishing the mission that he has given us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. He gets all the glory for that as he does it in our midst. The role of the Holy Spirit, the role, the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is to proclaim Jesus Christ in our midst. We're going to end with, end with this. What does it mean? It means that God is taking an active and personal role in the everyday life of his church. He is the senior pastor. And he is continually and presently and powerfully and spiritually guiding us and leading us as his people. 
It means that this is his church, his body, his family, his people. He is personally and deeply invested in our continual welfare and growth. He did not create the church and then spin us off to go do something. He is present in our midst to do what he has called us to do. And it means, again, that we need each other, not simply so we won't be lonely, but we need each other because we need God. And he leads us and speaks to us and manifests himself to us through each other. This is how we see the kingdom established in our midst. This is why it's so important that we are deeply involved in each other's lives as believers. It's for the common good. It's for the glory of Jesus. It's to create a community that displays the reestablishment of the created order. Us, his people, gathered around him, with him in us and among us for his glory of his son. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, if at the beginning of this it seemed like maybe just mumbo jumbo to talk about spiritual things, spiritual gifts, you read this list, you're like, man, this is kind of crazy, this is kind of weird, but maybe God would stir in your heart this morning when you hear the description of a reestablishment of the created order that makes you long to say, man, I don't know if it's true, but I wish that were true. I pray that as the band plays and we get prepared to take communion, that you would bow your knee to him. That his spirit would awaken you to the glory that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you would confess him as the Lord. And if you're a believer here this morning, I pray that you would take this time as we reflect. As we think, think, sing about the wondrous mystery that is the work of Christ on our behalf. That you would reflect about how you view church and how we as a body and you individually can begin to view your part as being vital to the mission of God. And you pray that God would move in your heart and pour through you and speak through you and empower his people, encourage his people, and point people to Jesus through you for our common good and his glory. Father, I pray that you would glorify your son in our midst. I pray that as we continue to try to plant a, uh, a church here, to build a foundation for the, a church for the Grand Strand, for your glory along the Grand Strand, that you would um, that you would help us to take seriously the call to be your people. That you would display your glory in our midst as a taste of what life was meant to be like and what life will fully be like whenever you return and make all things new. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.